We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Well, you know, I overhauled my eating and other habits to be way healthier, and I was immediately rewarded with illness, so... That's fine. Thanks, God. But it's Mardi Gras. As listeners may have noticed a change in our opening music. That was, of course, Professor Longhair's Go to the Mardi Gras. It's my first Mardi Gras after having seen Treme, so I'll be blaring that everywhere I go today. Excellent. But are you gonna get? Are you gonna have at least have some king cake or something? Uh, no. No. It's not. It's not in the diet. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that's good. It's a healthier. It's a healthier choice. We had a lot of fun talking to you guys this week. I talked with uh, on Twitter with uh, Keith about some podcast stuff as well as uh, he's not uh, on the Carrie Russell bandwagon. He's not like anti Carrie Russell, but he has not fallen in love with her the way that the rest of America has, and rightfully so, might I add. And I would highly recommend uh, watching Waitress, Keith. I know you said you haven't seen it, and I really enjoy it. Do you enjoy Waitress? Have you seen that one? I haven't. Oh, well, you should watch it, too. It has Nathan Fillion and lots of pies. It's like pie porn. There's so many yeah, pies. Yeah, see, again, pie porn is not what I need right now. <laughs> I don't. I can't stress this enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving up sweets for, for, for Lent or just as more of an exercise to see if I can make it, you know, the 40 days, except that pie day is in the middle. So I'm giving up sweets except for pie on pie day. That's like the entirety of my Which day. is pie day? Oh, 314. Oh, right. I should have guessed. Right. Yeah. Pie Day's awesome. Right. That Merry week humor. has the right. Ides of March. It has it has uh, Pie Day and it has what other one? What's the other holiday that week? There's a third holiday. That's like the most it's like a three day span of awesome holidays. No, sorry. I'm not familiar with novelty holidays. Oh, man. They're good times. Good times. <laughs> also had fun talking with Bill about uh, DS9 and Babylon 5. I'm doing a bunch of watching a bunch of DS9 right now so if you guys have any episode recommendations for me uh let me know i'm in the middle of season two and i gotta say ds9 random episodes destroy tng random episodes at least in the early end uh, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about that once we get to our, our ds9 shelf in the future um also talked with Corey about gone with the wind and clark gable mario uh, and i talked to the americans shannon uh picked tusk over air in our in our question of the week last week. Tusk! <laughs> and a similar Supernatural talk with Amanda. Uh, I figured I'd mention that because Supernatural did just get picked up for a new season next year along with Vampire Diaries and oh, one other one. Arrow got season two as well. So congratulations to those shows. Unfortunately, as we were just discussing, The Hour did just get axed this morning, which makes us sad pandas. Yes, it does. I would have assumed. I mean, I don't. I don't follow British ratings, but based on the cast and the premise and the execution, I would have thought it would be really popular. But I guess not. Yeah, it's really too bad that you know Downton 
is showered with viewers and nobody has any love for the hour but so it goes future dvd shelf uh right there we uh have a bunch of stuff going on at sound on site of course we have a ridiculously shiny new tv page that you guys yes. should all go check out it's so pretty i mean i'm in i'm in tv editor heaven with it right now it's but... like big chief pretty yeah, it, it's, it, it is totally Big Chief Pretty. So you guys should check that out. Um, it's Keanu month. Do you have, have you decided on your Keanu article yet? Speaking of pretty, I don't think I'm going to write an article for Keanu month, but I did We I, I did just uh, co-host uh, an episode of the Sound Outside podcast, one of Ricky's last, actually, which was about Keanu Reeves. Uh, we, we brought in our friend and uh, Harvard film nerd, uh, Kate Rennebaum, to talk all things Keanu. It was actually a really great show. Um, every, if, if you have even the slightest interest in any of the three movies we discussed, uh, Bill and Ted, Speed, or uh, Devil's Advocate, you should listen. That was a really good one. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have fun listening to that. I got to ask, though, when are you guys going to do Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Because I think that's one of the better sequels out there. I love Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, there was some dis- I haven't I, I didn't watch Bogus Journey for the show. I don't remember if I've seen it before, but there was actually mostly bashing of Bogus Journey for, for oh. being too... No, Kate. Kate is clearly of the opinion that uh, it's way too mean spirited, and thereby misses the the the, oh, the, the joy of the original. You have death. Oh man. I oh, she to... likes she likes the death stuff, but the rest not so good. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about that at a, at a future time. But it's lot, lots of fun going on with that, and I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun to listen to uh, later later in the week for me. Of course, uh, Dan over at Sound and Sight has started up his Survivor reviews. He's gonna he he did the the preview for next season. I wanted to mention that because he has a Survivor pool that he'll be doing. So if you're interested, if you're gonna be watching Survivor and you want to make it a little more fun for yourself, you can uh, get a hold of us or him. He's on on Twitter too you can reach out to him and and he would love to get more people for the survivor pool which leads me to the amazing race which we will be following here on the televerse of course and we'll be doing our third uh televerse amazing race pool and it's always so much fun to have people play along so if you're going to be watching amazing race we would love to have you join in for our amazing race pool send us an email the televerse at gmail.com or drop me a line on twitter uh, at the televerse and we can get you hooked up for that but last year simon you won Rather soundly. Yes, it was. I mean, I knew it was going to happen. Just I knew it was my time. And I think this time is also going to be my time. So you may as well not even apply because I'm just going to be winning again. I believe, was it Mario won the first time? He went from like last place to first place in the in the finale, right? Was that, is that correct? Am I, or was it Dan? I think it was Mario. Uh, some, something like that. But that won't be happening again this time. I think we I'm should actually have a prize this year. I'm just going to say it now. There will be a prize unless you win. Then there won't be. Because <laughs> you don't need a prize. But if anybody else wins... I don't need a prize? I don't need a prize either. But if anybody <laughs> else wins, if one of our listeners wins, there will be a prize for the winner of the Amazing Race pool. So, I don't know what it'll be. I'll figure that out. But it will be cool. At least my definition. And uh, you should totally join us because it's always a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, we also have uh, a bunch of uh, new reviews always going up, of course. We have... A ridiculous list of shows that we cover at Sound Outside TV, but we are still looking for more uh, people to help us cover. Unfortunately, as we always 
mention this is an unpaid thing we do none of us get paid but if you are looking to do some tv writing and are interested in reviewing a show or just contributing original articles send me an email the televerse at gmail.com and we'll see if you, you can send a writing sample we, you can see we can see if it uh works out if it's a good match so because we definitely are looking for people to review bunheads and grim when it comes back really soon here there's a bunch of shows that we are looking actively looking for people to cover so if you have any interest in that drop us a line of course at the end of the show we are going to have what was a really fun at least uh for me i thought it was a lot of fun dvd shelf with will mckinley talking dark shadows so yes. that'll be at the end of the show lots of va vampiric fun there but let's get into our week in tv and we're going to start on tuesday with the tuesday comedies this week that means new girl marriage mindy project harry and mindy and uh, cougar town flirting with time now you just watched new girl yes Yes, as, as per usual, since there was no happy endings this week. And? Uh, well, you know, the, this is them following on from what they did last week in pretty much the fashion I was expecting, which is incredibly sluggish. At least that's the way it felt to me. I don't know. What, what, did, what did you think? I thought it was good. I thought it made sense. I don't think they're going to jump into those two as a couple. And I think it makes sense for them to not. I don't think either character is ready for that, what that relationship would mean and so i think that they handled it well this week and uh i enjoyed it i i'm so sorry to see sam go dr sam he's of course that actor is going to be the the lead in the pilot for about a boy which is one of the ones that the more touted pilots for next year but um so he wasn't going to be sticking around anyways but yeah I, I thought they actually handled it pretty well and i had a lot of fun with with schmidt and winston and and all that this week well yeah i think i think the the b plot if you want to call it that with uh, with Schmidt and the and the the wedding party or matchmaking whatever it was um, was was really great and the stuff with Winston and his and his mojo was was great it's it's, ni it's nice to see him play a, a totally different sort of uh, vibe than he's been getting to have lately yeah it, it was a lot of fun on Mindy Project we had Harry and Mindy which followed directly on from last week it's as I understand it, originally Harry and Sally, which was the episode last week, and Harry and Mindy were supposed to play back to back, which I think would have worked a lot better. Um, I don't know exactly the specifics of time slot dynamics that was going to allow that to happen, but those really did, two did feel like a piece. They would have been a nice pair for a Valentine's sort of uh, episode. So actually, they they probably would have worked best if the two had aired tonight this tuesday right before valentine's day but uh but i did think it was a fun episode i will miss bj novak on the show and i thought that the the way that they ended it up with with danny and, and mindy having a platonic nice valentine's day together was actually uh, a really nice way to handle that and, and well done with as far as cougar town again still more of the same lots of fun and uh, I, i'm enjoying hanging out with with the gang so you know nothing new to say there but i i still am very much enjoying my tuesday comedy as much as we all miss ben and kate and wish happy endings was on every week it was still a solid tuesday I'm going to next mention uh, the Smash season premiere on Broadway and the Fallout, which was the two episodes that that premiered this past past week. I already discussed these in our in our 2013 midseason preview, but I figured I would just mention again. Yes, a lot of the the problems from before have been taken care of or eliminated from the show for the most part, but unfortunately, there are a, a whole set of new problems that feel very similar to what was there before. So while Leo's gone. 
And, and good riddance, thank goodness for that. And while Ellis is gone, and that's great, in place of Ellis, we get cartoon, other cartoonish villains. And, you know, so so a lot of the problems are are, are not really resolved. It's, it's like they they treated the, the symptoms, but not the disease. So we'll see what, you know, if they can pull out of this kid. But it's nice to see Jennifer Hudson on there. It's nice to have a really good singer, though. It does kind of throw a sharp relief on their star, the Cat McPhee character. She's not nearly as much of a star when you place her next to a real one. Uh, and that was already a bit of a problem with Megan Hilty. The, and uh, I've seen some grimacing from you over there. I'm not, that's not a really too no, much of a statement a, on, it's just, it's, on, it's... on Cat McPhee. That's more of a statement on the character that they've given yeah. her. And, and even just the types of songs that they're writing for her. If you, Cat McPhee is fine. She's, there's, you know, she has a lovely voice. That's great. But when you put her next to Jennifer Hudson, if you're trying to make her stand out, that's, that's not a smart way to handle, you know, your, your talent. So there are some problems with what's going on there. I also think they're doing, there's more songs and the music is pretty good. So that's a strength, but there are still some problems with Smash. We'll see. Are you going to pick back up at some point and continue to hate watch or are you good? You done for good? I don't know. I, I was, I honestly, if it had been a one hour premiere, I would have checked it out, but just the prospect of two hours of new Smash was just too much to process for one night. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I noticed that nobody watched it. It got terrible. It got worse than parenthood. It got um, worse than community. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a one point, I want to say two rating. Very low. So we'll see Especially how long NBC sticks with it. Yeah. And they've been real. They've been promote, promoting it too. So that's not a good sign. But we'll see oh. how long it sticks around. I guess oh, I'll probably still keep checking it out once we get to you know episodes I haven't already seen. I'll probably tune back in. I almost feel bad for NBC. <laughs> Yeah, I almost. almost do. We'll see. You know, but hey, if anything, this means we'll probably, you know, the, the notion of a parenthood pickup seems more and more likely. So that's great. Yes. That's something. I'll take that. Let's move on to Justified, though, which had its episode Kin, which is a fabulous episode. Lots of great stuff going on. And uh, this was the episode that had everybody. I, I spent the entire because we had heard about that ahead of time on Twitter with reviews and such. But I spent the the entire about first five minutes going, yes, nice, as different various character actors appeared on screen from Romy Rosemont to, you know, you know, I love to Gerald McRaney and Stephen Tobolowski and just everybody was in this episode. And it was awesome. Yeah, it was, a, it was it was a good one. Uh, I like that we, we got Stephen Tobolowski back. And then by the time the credits were over, he was dead. Was that was like, great. What? Uh, yeah, Mike so, I mean, O'Malley. It's about, it's, it's uh, yeah, Mike O'Malley. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's about time they start thinning the herd a tiny bit because they just keep adding and adding and adding people, and it's almost getting ridiculous. I mean, I'm not complaining. The great thing about Justified is they can add as many characters as they want, and I'm fine with it because they don't tend to add annoying or useless characters. Well, and and the very brief scenes we got with Tobolowski made his character so much more interesting than he had been. That you know, it added so much dimension to what we got from him last season, and uh, yeah, now I, I actually I, really like that character. I think the character's really interesting with that twist. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering how far in advance they plan that, or mm -hmm. if if it's just something they came up with a couple weeks before and were like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, yeah. But I, I am kind of curious to check out his season three appearances again and see if if there's any hints of it whatsoever, or if it's just something they pulled out of their you know very clever asses. 
But yeah, there's uh, lots of good stuff. I, I love. I mean, finally we had Boyd and Raylan sharing a scene and mm-hmm. you know, actually teaming up for the first time since probably I'd say the season one finale. Yeah, uh, which worth was the nice wait. and unexpected. Yeah, and uh, and I, I love the stuff with Colt and Tim too. Apparently, he gets more to do this week, so looking forward to that. And yeah, Gerald McRaney, come on. <laughs> And apparently he's only going to be in the next episode and for about as much time as he was in this past episode. It's it's, it's a tiny part, but they're like, hey, think we could get Gerald McGraney to come in for like a day and do all of his stuff? And yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. I wonder if by the end of uh, – because I know that they're, they're theoretically planning like a six, seven season run. Like they don't want to go too much further, further beyond that. I'm wondering if by the end of that, they're just going to have every single Deadwood cast member on. I feel like that's their secret goal. That sounds great to me. Absolutely. Right. So as far as people left, they only need to get Brad Dourif, Titus Welliver, Ian McShane, and uh, P- Paula Malcolmson, I don't think, has been on. Pa- Paula Malcolmson has not been on. Uh, Kim Dickens. Kim Dickens. But she's a little busy. Molly Parker has not been on. And, uh, of course, you got can't, can't forget uh, Saul. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Hawks. John Hawks also slightly busy. Uh, but as many of those people as they can try to get. He could come on for a character of that length of time, like Jeremy yeah, Brady. True. He could totally yeah. do that. What I want to see next is I, I want to see the Romy Rosemont lawyer character come up on, into Stephen Root's court and, and watch that play out because I think that would be fun knowing of course that those two actors are married in real life and they worked so well together on Fringe I also want to mention um, two things you mentioned the Colton Tim scene the stuff with Tim this week just was killing me just so well handled just the 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 very brief totally raw dialogue that they give him when he's reflecting on you know some of his literary decisions and such that was amazing and watching him and Colt interact was fantastic they they are doing so much better with Rachel and Tim this year I know every season they say we're gonna really this year is the year we're gonna give them more (laughs) it's nice to see them finally actually do that and then the last thing I want to mention is as much as I love Jim Beaver I really am not very uh, appreciate. I'm really enjoying what they're giving him so far to work with. He, I think he's the one who's been the most shortchanged as far as dialogue goes. What he gets this week to work with is very exposition heavy. And I'm looking at the audience and telling them what they need to know, as opposed to what this character would actually need to tell that character. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it didn't really bother me because it's Jim Beaver, but and I, I'm, I, I'm pleased to see that he's actually getting stuff to do this season because he was barely there last season. Yes, but I still feel like his that that first scene with him in the shotgun in the front yard, or it wasn't the first scene with him, but it's one of the early scenes of his character, was by is by far the best material they've given him to work with. And uh, that's true. That's I'm hoping true. we get more like that to come. Yeah, I, I I I'm I'm sure that something good is coming. I mean, it's very rare. It's it's extremely rare that they that they waste a character or don't find the optimal use for them. Yeah. So do you want to see more Raylan and Boyd together, or are you good with something like this where it just pops up and they really savor it and then it goes away? I think that was that was optimal. I I think that it doesn't really make sense for them to team up for a long period of time. They're clearly in opposition. Boyd is not a good person. <laughs> uh, so I think just they couldn't resist putting putting them in this in that particular position. And by the way, everything in that standoff was great from Raylan cutting himself loose with the bullet hole. 
which mm-hmm. was just which was you know a very justified touch and the whole thing with with the son having to cover his ears while they explain that he's not allowed to have a loaded gun yeah uh, was fantastic yeah it was it was a fabulous episode next the more that we talk about it, the more i feel like maybe we should have spotlighted it but it, it was a it's too great late episode. now it's too late we're committed <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i, I next still time. i still feel like it, it was it was a really fun episode but i feel like it's it can do a little it can do a tiny bit better I'm also going to mention, of course, Natalie Zaya, Zaya is in this episode. Natalie Zay? Something like that. I, I apologize if you're listening, Natalie. I do not know how to pronounce your last name. But uh, I, that brief scene we get with her at the beginning was also really great. It's great to see them touch on Winona and where she's at and where yeah. her and Raylan are at. And and they know that they're not going to get her much this season, so they made sure to make that conversation count to the, yeah. that it had the substance it needed to have. From what I understand, they're actually not sure if they're going to be able to get her Again, so. hopefully fingers crossed that would be yeah. great next up is wednesday and we'll kick that off with top chef seattle kings of alaska and unfortunately lizzie goes home and uh we're out we're out to our final three i think they're gonna eliminate one more then the, there will be one more last chance kitchen then those three will ever will go the the winner of last chance kitchen will go with the final two to the finale and we'll see what happens there. But what did you think of this episode? The challenges and the eliminations. And uh, oh, that's right, you didn't see Last Chance Kitchen. Last Chance no, Kitchen I, I, was I can't really good this it. week. Was it okay? Yeah, Very I good. keep hearing Last Chance Kitchen is actually better. It's like pound for pound better than regular <laughs> Top Chef, but I can't see it. So thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's sad to see Lizzie go. She's she's never really been the most like it. it never, it's never felt like she's gotten as much screen time as many mm-hmm. of the other people, just because the, she doesn't really produce drama. Yeah. But, you know, she seemed to be a, a, a really good cook and a pleasant person to be around, unlike, you know, at least half people, half of the people who show up on Top Chef. So <laughs> well done. Uh, I didn't think it was an earth, earth shattering set of set of challenges, but nothing offensive on the order of some things we've seen. I want to have that garlic soup. I didn't even know garlic soup was a thing. Garlic bread soup. Yum. It was like all my favorite things right there in a bowl. So yeah, that, that's, that's true. that salmon bake seemed like it would have been really tasty to to it to attend. As far as Last Chance Kitchen goes, she made a a salmon sort of fish stew, and Tom said that if she had made that for the or actual challenge, she would have won. So it's yeah, really too bad with that that uh, she went the way the route that she but did. She still lost. She still lost. She still got slightly. Apparently, was the closest it's been so far, but she did. Kristen did edge out the win, so I really think we're going to see Kristen in that finale, but she's one more win away. We'll see. Fingers crossed. It looks like it's going to be Kristen and CJ and whoever gets eliminated next in that final Last Chance Kitchen, so it really sucks that you're not going to be able to watch that. Yeah. Wait, is it going to be CJ because he won a bunch or because, because he's the he, he's Because he's the, yeah, the fan favorite right now to save a chef, so I think that means they're going to throw him back in in the, last, the final Last Chance Kitchen. It ha- It's not really been announced what they're doing with that but that would be my guess yeah the the only thing that stuck out this week to me honestly was their was their dickish editing in the coming up on when they were like oh with the chum uh, with the chum and they're like oh the chum is garbage and then we get the, the actual but you show the garbage but it was well. great <laughs> like, uh, really guys really you had to do that i gotta say though it's called chum salmon like the name of it is chum we all know what chum is so that it's like it's named that for a reason. That doesn't mean that the fish isn't beautiful, but the fact that he seemed surprised when they said nobody uses the chum fish, you know, I, I, why would you be surprised if, if you, you know, be like if you uh, 
the name of the fish was leftovers and you're like oh, i'll use the leftovers maybe and... he was thinking chum like you're my chum I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Let's move on to the next uh, Wednesday show, though, which is Supernatural. Everybody hates Hitler. I just wanted to mention this one because it was so much fun. I really like the addition of the Men of Letters. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yes, it makes Supernatural much more similar to a lot of other genre series in that you have a Watcher-like group. So that would make it similar to Buffy and also Blade and a lot of these different uh, series that have uh, a arm of your underground secret monster killing society that are really literary types who assist the action types. But I think that makes a lot of sense for Sam to start to fill that role a little bit more. I think it gives his character something more interesting to do and contrast that well with Dean. And I like the way that they tied it into the, the previous show mythology of the importance of the pairing of their parents the coupling of their parents so i thought that made a lot of sense and uh just you know everybody does hate hitler so if you can throw nazis in there and make it work that's fun and they had spontaneous combustion that's always fun too so giant clay golem you know the fact that there's now secret nazi hunting going on in the background i think is a lot of fun let's move on to the americans though and the clock we really liked the pilot uh last week could the second episode live up to that often second episodes tend to falter because they don't have the budget or the time of, of the pilot episodes. What did you think of this episode too? I thought it was really good. I maybe, maybe a smidge under the pilot, but still very good. Uh, it avoids most of the problems that plague a lot of second episodes. There were a few touches I didn't care for. Like, I, I don't think we needed for their mark to be uh, Christian or whatever the hell was going on with that. When And they made it like, or if they wanted to do it, maybe be a little more subtle about it instead of her, Saying like, well, what about God? It's like, really? You're just don't dial it down a little, people. <laughs> um, a couple little things like that that could have been a little handled a little bit more delicately. But other than that, I thought it was really good. I felt like they very smartly decided to develop the relationship with the kids a little bit more this week. Uh, focus on that rather than the dynamic specifically between Philip and Elizabeth. And all the stuff with Cassie, I thought was great. That scene at the end where she's piercing her ear and there's a drop of blood is, is very evocative and said a lot with just one one image. When you see them develop a sense of, of visual storytelling this early, that's a really good sign instead of worrying about tireless exposition over and over. I also really liked how we opened the episode with a gender-reversed version of how we opened the pilot. That exactly. Was that was one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode is that you have Philip being the the sexy ingenue sort of or, or seducing the the other person with his sexy persona, super spy, you know, and you have you have Elizabeth frumping it up to be her her side of that pair. So I thought that actually was was a really nice reversal, and hopefully we'll get more balance on this show than we do yeah. tend to get and on. I, and I like that. Shows. I like that, if anything, Philip is maybe even better at it than she is. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, maybe too good. <laughs> I actually was having sort of flashbacks to to some some this episode of Weeds, where where the uncle character, whose name escapes me at the moment, is in a relationship or involved with a woman who is very into him. He's not into her, but for some reason, he's still she'll hook it up with her and just just the the, the dead eyes and the do i really have to be here <laughs> from, from philip was reminding me of that which of course in weeds it's played for comedy here it's it's different but uh that was actually really interesting and fun and as far as the the relationship with the kids i really like that they took that moment to to show us at least one way 
in which the daughter in Paige is like her mother and, and to show the pride in Elizabeth that, that, that her daughter doesn't react, you know, like takes the, the, the pain of the needle of piercing your ear. Of course it doesn't, you know, relate to anything really that, that Elizabeth is doing, but still that, that tiny little note is really nice that they showed that in a couple ways, these kids are like their parents because of course, most of the series is going to be showing us how they're different. Yeah. So hopefully they'll we'll get a bit more of that. Yeah, I, I I also think they overplayed, to be honest, a little bit how impossible the whole clock thing was. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, it was hard and there were complications, but it wasn't that hard. I mean, you're probably gonna have to do harder stuff in like three episodes. I don't think it was as I think it put them in a lot of risk because they were very exposed, and both of them were. I think it has more to do with the fact that they really, really, really didn't want to kill that kid. Yes. And so I think that was the part that was hard. It was emotionally hard because they didn't want to be put in the position of of having the choice of if they're going to do that or if they're going to fail the mission. And, yeah. and I, th- I, I really think this is, at least in these first two episodes, it looks like this is shaping up to be the story of how Elizabeth is going to eventually defect. Uh, maybe. I mean, I feel like it's uh, whatever it ends up being the story of i think the nice thing about the the assignment they're given this week is it, it makes it very clear what their lines are that they maybe will cross but really don't want to and yeah. what's what's likely to make them defect what they're comfortable doing and sort of what what their priorities are yeah and how, as it relates to what they do so and I, I i think it's very smart in that sense and i feel like we really know these characters only two episodes in and that's that's excellent storytelling it's and excellent performances from from both of our leads to to have us already feel like we really know these people after two weeks should we talk about noah emmerich at all i i continue to like his stuff and uh i, I like the through line of the caviar mm-hmm. uh, that that made for a few nice scenes i i'm i'm yeah i i have no qualms with noah emmerich so far i mean i i could i could but not yet does it feel contrived to you the the parallel lines of now, right when the one side gets an in at the you know at the consulate or whatever, the other side does as well. Is that a little too tidy for you, or does that not bother you? Uh, I mean, it's fine. I mean, if you're willing to accept that he's their bloody neighbor, I can accept <laughs> that, that that this happens at the same time. Okay, okay. doesn't bother. Does it bother you? I I noticed it. I would rather not have things like that that I'm noticing that make it feel like a TV show. But if it's going to feel like a TV show, at least it feels like a damn good one. There you go. Let's move on to Thursday and Thursday comedies, which will start with the community season premiere, History 101, but also, of course, Parks and Rec and Secision and Archer, Midnight Ron. A lot of people were underwhelmed with community. I saw a lot of, of talk on Twitter about it's just not the same. It's not funny. It's terrible. Things like that, uh, ranging on a spectrum. I did not get a chance to see it right away. I only saw it yesterday sitting on the, the DVR, but... Unfortunately, I I'm right with everybody else. I wish I had something, you know, different to say. I kind of was going into it assuming that people were bringing too much baggage, uh, too much knowledge that, you know, if if people didn't know that the showrunner had changed, would they still feel like this was an off episode? And yeah, they would, I think. <laughs> so, I'm right with everybody else. Parts of this episode really work. Parts of it I I, mean, I would love to see Abed's that 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 sitcom you know version of their show shut before a live studio audience you know element i think that could be a really fun almost entire episode kind of like the dreamatorium episode instead it's just a 
tiny part of it. Just Fred Willard playing Pierce is is great, but uh, but I do feel like other parts of the episode felt like they it felt like somebody gave them an outline of of list of things that a typical community episode will have, and they checked them off, but somehow but it still didn't quite work. It didn't have the right sense of of these characters and the right finesse to it so i'm hoping that that's sort of a growing thing i think it even might have been i want to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was a, a meta thing that they took <laughs> they took it because of course there's a lot of commentary about it feels different doesn't it it just it seems it's not like something's changed it's not quite the same as it used to be so i want i even want to give them that benefit of the doubt that maybe there was an intentional element to that there as poorly thought out as that decision would be but we'll see next week if if it continues and it continues to feel like sort of a empty shell <laughs> of the show. Still funny, still entertaining, just not quite in that sweet spot. Well, the impression I'm under from people who have seen the two episodes they sent out was that this was the stronger of the two. Yeah, the other one that they sent out was the was the convention episode, the <laughs> Inspector Space Time convention, and. That's the third episode. They didn't set, they sent out one and three. I feel like something like that, a convention episode, a lot of genre shows or, or geek friendly shows do convention episodes. And I think most of them don't do them particularly well. I think Supernatural is a big exception to that. Their, their convention episodes are great. I think there are two of them. And, and the one I saw recently on Castle was okay. But yeah, usually when, when shows try to do convention episodes, they don't quite work for me so i'm not very surprised that the the in the much lauded inspector spacetime convention doesn't quite work let's let's talk about parks and rec though Anne's decision eh, i don't know man parks isn't doing it for me lately at least this week and last week uh you know the notion of Anne wanting a kid makes sense the unfortunately i feel like the way they used the douche uh nick kroll didn't really make a lot of sense. I, I mean, we've seen the character be the same way for seasons, and so to reveal that he has this other side just felt forced and like a like a like a dumb comic decision, basically. I don't know. Did that? Work oh, for I you? loved that. Yeah, that I was, don't know because we've we've seen him great. act. We've seen him act that way at work and in public, and now yeah, but to we've see never it. really seen him in private though. So it makes sense that if he has this persona, that he would maintain that on the air and then in then in in public as well and, and especially when he's out as the douche but i i like that there's an element there that we that that it kind of explains why Anne went out with him for a while you know that i i think it's still there's still that sort of revealing element to, to her personality that she deals with she's okay with dealing with all the terrible douche stuff um because there's this little nugget of actually interesting and uh, intelligent you know person underneath it all uh but i actually really liked that i thought nick kroll played the hell out of it and i i thought he was great i just didn't think it worked on a story level personally okay. i thought it was really contrived i also liked where we where we ended up at the end of the episode i thought that worked i i would have liked to to see more of a sense of leslie learning a lesson or or realizing that she's wrong instead of just at the very end a little bit of lip service paid to yeah, I wasn't being respectful of you wanting to do something different than I did, and I wasn't valuing a, a different family style, and I was wrong for that. It's easy to say that when you won, when you convinced your friends to not do it. It's very, you know, 
So that, that so that was I wasn't a big fan of how they handled Leslie this episode, but I did love the the, the subplot with the food. Yeah, that was all right. Um, I mean, I feel like they've really driven the calzone joke into the ground at this point. So maybe, maybe that's just me. Whenever they whenever they bring it back now, I feel like it's just fan service. And we also got the plot with April, which was fine. I mean, it, it felt it felt very much like a let us demonstrate something new about this character. We have demonstrated it. Like it felt very schematic to me. Oh, but I really liked Andy knowing knowing his wife very well we, we we very rarely get andy having any sort of insight and so when he's like oh i left the suit and then she goes wow and he goes i got this and i love that it really showed uh another side to him so regardless of the april stuff i like how what it showed us about him fair enough yeah that's all right i don't know i i, I didn't laugh that much i guess okay. is the issue i i, I like yeah. my, my parks to be you know it can be poignant it, uh, it can be very poignant it can be funny it can be very funny Eh, it was it was all right. I I I I didn't laugh that much, which which is distressing that's, to me. That's an important litmus test. A show that I did laugh a lot at, it, though, and I I feel like you didn't either. So I feel like I'm much more positive on Thursday in general than you are. Is is Midnight Ron from Archer? Well, I mean, okay, the first five minutes of this were spectacular for me because he was trapped and Archer was stuck in Montreal, and we got a couple of table knacks and and a, <laughs> even a shot of the. Uh, of the of the stadium it was I, I was sort of like i had to actually rewind that because i was like i'm actually seeing this on <laughs> on a national american national i american thought television. as soon yeah. as i heard the first tabernacle i thought of you i was like <laughs> Simon's gonna love this <laughs> yeah that was great as soon as we actually got to ron and archer on the run uh, i don't know i i was uh i was a little i mean I, ron's ron's an, an amusing character i guess but i feel like we've got 20 better ones on archer I suppose, but I do like, I always enjoyed the dynamic of Archer and his father figures. So I thought this was a nice addition to that, the the various ones we've gotten over the seasons. And I him starting out in the trunk and... I, I thought that worked even to the, the hobos on the on the train and and uh, all of that. I also like that, that Mallory's husband is a little bit more interesting. Than he seemed. I'm assuming we're not going to get very much more of him all season, but probably you know, we'll, not. We'll They've got other stuff to do. Yeah. Um, anything else on Thursday comedies? Or shall we move on? No, I'm hoping for better next week. Fingers crossed. Next up is the Vampire Diaries Into the Wild. You didn't get a chance to watch this. Um, my review is up on Sound on Sight. If you are interested, you can check out my, my full thoughts there. It, it unfortunately it didn't continue the forward progress of the last episode, but it also didn't backtrack into the sort of downward spiral that a lot of the season has been on so it kind of treaded water and for now i'll take it <laughs> i'll take not moving backwards there was some really good work from the various the various actors i really liked what we got with damon i, I liked all of the conversations of the people talking i liked the way they handled rebecca they're very clearly establishing her as going through and sort of explaining all of her past decisions that would make us hate her so that she can Probably so that she can be the lead, one of the leads on their new original show. But uh, I think that Claire Holt has been doing really well, and I enjoyed that. I also thought the stuff we get with Caroline and Tyler, it's, I, I, I'm glad to have Tyler back if it means that I get Carolyn back, Caroline back. So that was nice to see their interactions with Klaus. I thought that worked really well, and uh, Joseph Morgan is always great, especially with Candace Akala. So I thought their scenes worked really well. Also, the... I, when every time a, a vampire gets bit by a werewolf and we have the, oh my God, are they going to die thing, 
I, it works incredibly well. And the reason it works incredibly well is because the first time that happened was with Rosemary and uh, that's Lauren Cohen, who's now on Walking Dead, of course, playing Maggie. And sh- and she did such a great job. And that episode did such a great job of establishing what that experience is that now it's like all these seasons later, it's still paying dividends. So actually while I enjoyed that, that element to the story and to this episode, it just kind of made me think back to, Oh, remember when they did that the first time and it was even better. So I'm hoping that we'll continue to move forward and get the show back to where it has been, but it was a solid episode, if not as good as I might've hoped. So I think you could probably skip it. I would guess, Simon, with the, the previously on would fill you in on everything you needed to know. But if you decide to watch it, it's not about it. It's not, you know, a waste of your time. All right. Friday has Spartacus, War of the Damned, and this is Men of Honor. We got a lot of uh, so, some, some PTSD moments from some of our characters this week. What did you think? Uh, well, it was really great to see that uh, it was it was nice to get a, a, yet, a, yet another demonstration of the freed slaves not really being any better than the Romans. Mm-hmm. Needing some needing some guidance in in that respect, and you know when they're left to their own devices, just being terrible, terrible people. Um, yeah, but, and I think that's important because you know if, if I, I've been reading up a little bit on Spartacus, you know, there's really no evidence that the actual Spartacus had any interest in in ending slavery in Rome. Yeah, or anything like that. So it's so it's kind of nice when the show manages to diverge a little bit from its from the daring do and show the characters not being all that great. Uh, at least personally, I really like that. I also really like that you know the, the show's got you know people who watch Spartacus are 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 not uh, clearly not averse to sex and nudity, but it even though there there is you know gay content, it's rare that we get like a full blown gay sex scene that gets all that gets the lavish mm-hmm. treatment that the straight sex does. So it was great to see that happen this week. I feel like yeah. that, that's only happened one or two other times. Well, and it's just. You know, and I'm watching this show. <laughs> it's, this is one of those shows where I it's it's kind of like turn around because if somebody walks in while I'm watching this, they're gonna assume <laughs> I'm watching porn because <laughs> nobody else I know watches Spartacus. You know, nobody else I know, of course, in in person in my daily life, and so it is one of those. You know, I, I'm not ashamed to watch Spartacus, but I don't necessarily want to have the conversation that I'm going to need to have. Right. Somebody walks in in the because they will walk in in the middle of the sex scene, much much like when I was watching Dressed to Kill by Eddie Izzard. My grandfather walked in on this part where he started mocking profanity in American film by u- using the word fuck every two seconds. And then, therefore, I had to have a conversation with my grandfather about how, no, it's really, it's a satire of American, he's not, it's, uh. <laughs> so, so, uh, it's really great to see, because this is, like you said, this is not a show that backs off in any way from explicit content. They love it. They they revel in it. And I, it makes sense for the culture of wh- wh- when this is set and where this is set. And it's great to see equal treatment for the gay couple, the main gay couple on the show. I thought that was handled really well. And I really was enjoying that. I also, like you say, I, I love that they do not shy away from how traumatized these people are. And especially, character name escapes me, but the badass chick who spent much of last season having been kidnapped or been sold and and being tortured and raped and all sorts of terrible, terrible things. It's nice to see her as an empowered badass this season, but I love that they didn't back away from how messed up she's got to be. 
Yeah. Uh, and for the record, I can't remember like any character names besides Spartacus and Gannicus and uh, that's, that's, that's about it. it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> pretty uh, much so it. so good. Crassus. I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't. Yeah, Crassus. Yes, Crassus Caesar, uh, Tiberius. Okay, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I was so disappointed when Tiberius didn't get killed this week, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I, I guess I, I, I saw that coming. Uh, and I was also really happy that they teased uh, some some character death this week and then didn't do it, which I was actually happy with because it just means they're going to pile it on later. Yeah, when probably... it's going to get bloody. It's going to hurt, man. It's going to hurt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I, I did feel like the resolution of the episode was a little too predictable. Like as soon as we, as soon as we knew the Romans were advancing and there was a conflict already brewing, it's like, OK, well, they're just going to team up against the Romans, clearly. Yeah, but hey, you know what? Badass, a uh, flaming. What is it? What were those flame? Is that flaming pitch or tar or something like that? I don't the, know. It was basically a low rent. Chips? It was basically a low rent version of what Game of Thrones did last season, which was fine by me since Spartacus probably has one tenth the budget. Oh yeah, totally. That was great. I, w- I was totally fine with it, and uh, I, I thought the, the the effects. I always, I'm always astonished by how how great the effects are on this show, considering what they must not have that huge of a budget. They do, they really do very well with that. It's always impressive. I I think it's strange that Spartacus somehow hasn't figured out the incredibly obvious fact of what's gone on with the Romans. Of course, that that woman you know took care of them and and freed them and and you know does is that something he's not supposed to know? Because it seems like he does or should. I don't think he knows, but I mean you know it's we've all got our weak spots. I guess. I don't know. But I'm very much enjoying the season. It looks like it's going to be a hell of a ride all the way out. And yeah, I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this, rest of the show. If you're not watching Spartacus, you're missing jump out on the man. bandwagon. As lo- you know, don't eat while you're watching it, maybe. Assuming you're over 18. <laughs> over 18? I can't, I can't advocate anyone under 18. I don't think it would be illegal for me to advocate anyone under 18 were to watch it. But even just the, 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 the way that they phrase their, the, the turns of phrase of, uh, you know, because of the, the speech patterns that, that they use on the show, the, the stylized dialogue, I just something as simple as, as because you don't have any other choice, they, they, they phrase it in a much more interesting way because of, and that's just how these characters speak. So it's a f- really fun show to listen to, let alone, let alone uh, enjoy the, the, the exuberance of yeah. so if, I mean, if you don't mind explicit content there's nothing authentic about it it's just no, no, what no. it's just the style they've gone with you know we're still yeah. having white people speaking english with british accents well british Rome. and australian and kiwi and everything but yes yeah <laughs> anything but italian yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, Spartacus is love it. So yeah, if, if the violence isn't going to, and gore, lots of gore, is not going to bother you. If, so if much the gore. Explicit content is not going to bother you. If you don't mind seeing a penis or a breast or, or, or a uh, vagina on your television, then, then watch, because it's a lot of fun. Yes. Or if you want to see those things, then my God. You, That's you, another good reason. Yeah, then you, certainly. Oh, my goodness. If you want goodness, some cock on you? your television, you're, Absolutely. you come to the oh, right place. Oh, it's so nice to get equal. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little <laughs> bit more about that when we get to girls. But uh, it's so nice to see equal nudity on a show that never happens. So yeah. it's very nice. Okay, let's move on to Sunday and Bob's Burgers, My Fuzzy Valentine. We've we've uh, talked a lot about the various Bob's Burgers holiday episodes. It seems like this is the season of holiday episodes for Bob's Burgers. And I love it because they've all been great. Did My Fuzzy Valentine live up to the previous holiday specials for you? Or is this one sort of on a lower tier? I thought it was it was good. I mean, Valentine's Day is probably my least favorite holiday. That won't surprise anyone. It's it's a it's a terrible fucking holiday. But 
uh, this was a pretty good holiday episode. I thought uh, it was. I thought it was sweet, and I, I, I liked that the. I love the way the kids managed to exploit his. Uh, what was the, his love quest or whatever? Or his love mission, as uh, <laughs> as it was termed, uh, in order just to skip school. Uh, the, and I, I, there was, there was some really good laughs to be had out of the speed dating as well. I thought, yeah, it worked really well. I really liked this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun and I would put it up on a par with their Christmas episode. Definitely. And maybe just below the Halloween and Thanksgiving episodes, but I really enjoyed it. And, uh, the, the, I am very much enjoying Hugo as an enemy, as a villain, as it were antagonist to Bob and the, the resolution I thought worked really well with Linda as well as everything else with the, the, um, the songs like I <laughs> buckle up or you'll die. <laughs> I, I wanted, I want to sing that with my family now, every time we drive, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, what the the uh, the tendency for characters to to just sing abruptly is one of my favorite things on, on Bob's Burgers, and I also love we we never discussed it before, but I love the the soundtrack of the show, which will occasionally feature. It really sounds like it's just Lauren Bouchard and and his friends playing music and explaining what's happened on the show so far and what's going to happen. It's yeah. it's, it's it's one of their more amusing quirks. I think it's a lot of fun. It's good stuff. Let's move on, though, to Girls and One Man's Trash. This has apparently been a rather controversial episode of Girls. I don't really get it because it doesn't seem controversial to me at all. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, but why don't you lead us off? And you have a fabulous review up at Sound on Sight. Yeah, if I can demonstrate the contrast, uh, on my Facebook, somebody commented on my review saying, uh, Lord, this was awkward and lame. Uh, whereas a, another friend of mine wrote in all caps, holy shit, Lena Dunham, just holy shit, you're my fucking hero. So, yes, <laughs> slightly polarized reaction to this episode. I thought it was a, a good episode. I, I thought it was uh, mostly I, I was really impressed with the direction and cinematography and acting. Uh, I think the weakness of the episode, and I think this is what people are responding to, is that even though we it, we spent basically the entire episode with Hannah and Patrick Wilson's character, Joshua, uh, I'm not really sure it taught us anything new about Hannah, and I, I feel like that's a, that's a problem. Like I, I think it's not so much a problem for this episode, but more of a problem for the series as a whole. Like I I, I feel like at this point we really should be broadening these characters or contri- or contributing something new to our understanding of them, and especially with our lead. And I don't feel like that's happening right now. I actually really liked her th- this episode because I thought her epiphany that she has towards the end was was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. I thought that I thought if if maybe we didn't learn anything new about her, I think the character learned something new about herself. And it was so entertaining but also frustrating to watch because it's it's she's so close she's so close but she still has to hannah it up well i think your problems are not are different than mine they don't count because mine are more significant so (laughs) and and then two seconds later you won't tell me anything traumatic about you i just did and you dismissed it and now i hate you (laughs) yeah I mean, there was a few levels of people being being offended by the episode. I think. I mean, there was obviously there's the whole odious. Uh, Patrick Wilson is too hot to have hooked up with Lena. Dunham oh my thing, god, which... that's ridiculous! That's just absurd. And and aside, okay, aside from if if people want to have a childish, immature, ridiculous conversation of so and so is a fill in the number and so and so is a fill in the number. That's if you want to have that conversation, I don't really 
care to talk to you at all anyways. But that's aside. The I think the this episode does a really good job of establishing that he's in a kind of a weird place right now. He's feeling rejected. His wife just left him. So this 24-year-old just just plants one on him. Why wouldn't he be like, "Yeah, okay, sure. Let's go with this. Let's yeah. have some fun." I mean, it makes complete sense. I think they did I mean, if he's in his own world, if he's in a stable place, maybe he's not interested in the barista who's living a completely different life than him, but he's feeling kind of screwed up already. So it, him seeing another person who's kind of screwed up, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, I, that, that that didn't bother me at all. Uh, I, I think mainly it's – you're, you're talking about how that revelation is, is something new for her, if not us, and I, I recognize that. I, I'm just not sure it's enough. Um, okay. Especially, you know, we're at the fifth episode of the second season – and we've spent a lot of time with Hannah, mm-hmm. and I feel like I don't think I don't think she needs to become a better person or a, like a more likable person. I don't think that's it. I just think that she should, if not evolve or change, at least. <sighs> hmm. Maybe she does need to evolve or change. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I, I I feel like I I just feel like that character's been 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 spinning their wheels for a long time, and and I think that's why you know we find ourselves sort of uh, drawn to characters that are on the periphery a little bit more, uh, who who might you know sort of challenge her and you know f- force her to see and act in new and exciting ways. But you know that's an that's an exceptionally difficult thing to do with a character who's been proven to be this stubborn. So I I, I think people don't want to be this frustrated with a character they once identified with, and that's what people are so upset with because they worry that they might be this annoying. Also, <laughs> well, and I actually think that's why that's why the people who love the show and who love that character really do love her because they see themselves 100% in that character along they see the same flaws they see the same struggles and they feel like they have a voice in a way that they haven't before and one of the things the last things I want to mention is at the couple things I I love the way that she embraces her physicality just if if any other show she would not be wearing that outfit because it's a hideous outfit. Oh, it's a terrible. And she knows it. It's a terrible it's, outfit. It's the the least flattering color. It's the least flattering cut. It is, and, and I love the fact that e- either Hannah thinks it looks good or some back part of her mind knows that it looks bad and yet she still wants to wear it. Like they, but it is telling herself that she that she should wear it. That's really interesting to me. And then the fact that Lena Dunham, on top of that, has her ca- dresses that way, has her character dressed that way, is is really interesting. But then it's just so wonderful to see somebody who looks like an actual person on television. Because, and, and I know you know this, but I feel like a lot of the, the men that I talk to about television might not realize just how un- completely biased it is. Yes, if you turn on the CW, if you turn on Spartacus, if you turn on True Blood... All of the men have to be in perfect, ridiculously gorgeous shape, and and uh, but on other shows, and the women do too. But on other shows, it's always the skinny, ridiculously hot wife with the overweight guy, and so it's so so nice to see that reversed here. She's she's not a fat character or anything. She's just a regular person. By far, so much more of the population looks like Lena Dunham than looks like anybody on Spartacus. It's just so wonderful to see that. As well, the ping pong scene. At first, I was like, 
okay, why is she not wearing a top? And then I'm like, wait a second. Why didn't I say, why isn't he wearing a top? They're dressed equally. They're both wearing pajama bottoms or bottom underwear bottoms. And I didn't think for a second it's weird that he's not wearing a shirt. But I did think it's weird that she's not wearing a shirt. And that's the fact that it makes me think about that. The fact that it prompts that I think is great. Well, and speaking of equality, I, I, I think my favorite thing in the episode was actually the, the sex scene we got on the bed as opposed to on the ping pong table or any of the other places that it happened. Um, where, uh, and I, it's so rare that sex scenes effectively demonstrate character, but I really liked the way that, she, that when, when, you know, when he says to her, you know, make me come or whatever, it's like, she's just realized that she can actually ask that of him. Like she's never thought to ask that of anyone before. So she's like, Oh wow. So she does it. Then it doesn't even worry about what he needs or mm -hmm. wants, whatever. And, you know, it, it was just such a – besides the staging, which was very much oriented towards uh, female pleasure, which is so rare, um, just the, the way that that scene played out, I thought both actors did a, did a great job. And I, I think as much as it didn't like – I, like I said, I don't think the episode told us, any, told us anything new about Hannah. I did, I did think that it was, uh, it, it was true to the character and, and really effectively staged. Yeah. So – we're on the pro side. Let us know if you agree or if you are on the I hate Hannah, so I didn't like this episode side, yeah. which I can understand. Yeah. If you don't like well, Hannah, you're not going to like this episode. Yeah, well, and I think also people have a difficult time separating their frustration with the characters with their frustration mm -hmm. with the show. Which I understand. Because, you know, if the characters are being irritating, clearly the show is irritating. And mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's especially with girls, I think that's a really tricky thing to try to parse out. Yeah. So um, you know, it's always interesting watching the reaction to this, but but definitely the whole strain of Lena Dunham and Patrick Wilson what uh, reaction <laughs> thing is definitely the most odious. That's yeah. It's it's just so ridiculous that I don't even. I, I was because I heard about that before I watched the episode, so I was expecting there to be some element of that in the episode that triggered this. But no, it's just we don't ask why uh, why why all of these sitcom funny guys have these ridiculously hot wives but heaven forbid a regular looking uh somebody who doesn't like isn't a knockdown ridiculous beauty uh is is with a hot guy oh that's ridiculous we couldn't possibly have that on our television so sorry i'm getting sidetracked <laughs> and i learned this week that apparently patrick wilson is some sort of sex symbol for women which i didn't know before so i guess hey, we all learned something new everybody has their type i guess so let's uh let's move on to our next show though we have of course the walking dead had its mid-season premiere the suicide king this week we talked about that on the walking dead podcast which already should have gone out on the televerse feed so if you're listening in itunes you can look to the previous episode and that will have uh, the two of us, as well as Ricky D from Sound on Sight, our general editor over at Sound on Sight talking Walking Dead for about half an hour. You can check that out there. Uh, we had a bit of a disagreement about it this week. So we did. You, you should you check it out. There and hear it. Yeah. Our final show of the week is Bunheads, which was on Monday. And there's nothing worse than a pantsuit. What did you think? I thought this was a really good one. I especially wanted to highlight uh, the Bailey Buntain audition sequence, which was which was fantastic fabulous uh, and it and also uh it, it it made me realize like and i i, I think of this about bunheads every once in a while but you ever have you ever noticed how many long takes there are on on bunheads yeah it's great it's it's fantastic and i mean obviously it, it helps them you know assuming everyone's well rehearsed it helps them save time but still it's it's fantastic 
And then, of course, we got more great dancing at the beginning of it. I love that that's just, you know, ridiculous, uh, well, at least to, to us, to me, ridiculously cool. You know, dancing is just, you know, a given on this show. It's that's just, yeah. the boring it, background it, stuff. It's not just, yeah, it's not just a given, but even the, like the other characters just find it boring it's just oh it's there whatever just stop or don't we don't care i do think that that audition scene was the highlight of the episode and and i also that's another thing that i love about this show where, where you're watching jenny audition and on any other show it would be way to go you're great that was wonderful because like, where she starts out in that audition and in, in showing her her thing you're going to think that you feel like the scene is going to be she's great but Michelle's hungover. Michelle has shirked her responsibilities, and she is not able to help. And she let this girl down. But it's it's not that at all. And I love that she immediately interrupts her. No, this is boring. You're not doing. This is not good. Fix it. And, and cause, because being able to sing the song well is not enough. And being able to 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 know the song, know what happens, know all the all the marks you're supposed to hit, and all the hand gestures and things, that's not enough. And 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 I love that because when you see the beginning that you you feel like oh Michelle's just irritable because she's pissed off about the thing with her friend and that's why and then then Michelle comes up and you go oh no oh no that's what it should be that that's really really good and that and she's trying to help get Ginny to that place and so she's a hundred percent right because. As somebody who started violin when I was five and went through all of that, when I see when I see people who are supposed to, you know, kids who who have been doing something their entire life, the way that these characters have been dancing for their entire life, what other people would assume as a that's amazing is really for these characters for what they have been doing with their time and with their lives. That's a ground floor. That's a start. So so when you see the Louis's daughter playing the violin, it's like she's really good, but she's not amazing. I've seen I've seen amazing. She's not amazing. She's just really good, and and she's clearly very talented and has been working her butt off. But she's not exploding my brain with awesome. That makes sense for that to be an everyday occurrence for Louis. And it, when you see this, you see the level of that audition where she starts to to somebody who hasn't done a lot of musical theater, who hasn't done years and years of dance training that may seem like it's really good but then you see what she's capable of and it's much higher yeah and although i i really i i can't praise bailey montaigne enough for this i think she, i thought she was great throughout the episode especially yeah. when she, in the in the audition because you, you don't know if if that's her trying her best or if she's actually calibrating it down a little bit oh so i think she's, she's totally play oh i i think that bailey montaigne i'm with you 100 percent. i think she's playing high school audition you know, like yeah, like, like, with, a, like with a her, good high school audition, a good high school audition, like with her her mannerisms and her her facial. I I I a hundred percent think that she's like okay, that that is not the best that that actress can do. That is her playing Ginny doing Ginny thinking she is prepared for a high school audition. And the first yeah. time you play something for somebody that you've worked on is is and gotten it as great as you can. The first time you play play it for somebody else or or, or sing or perform it for somebody else. It's not nearly as good as it's going to be able to be. You need that extra set of eyes to help bring you to that next level. And yeah. I thought, no, I'm with you 100%. I think she can do it much better than that. But she was playing high school audition. Yeah, uh, that that kid's going places. But um, yeah, and I and I, I'm, I continue to enjoy Carl and Boo. I think they're adorable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm still waiting for Carl to slip up somehow and be a dick. And it just keeps <laughs> not happening. I'm, it, it, it can't last, but I'm I'm not sure how it will fail. I really like Mel this week, actually. Yeah, she didn't get a lot to do, but I, I I did like her contributions. Yeah, she's she's been I've been enjoying her more and more. But yeah, that 
that that audition. I love when they when when they really let Sutton Foster do her thing. Yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. And I was glad that we didn't actually have to see the actual audition. Yeah, and I also like that that she didn't. From what I can tell, she doesn't know, even know she got the part yet. She was just happy that she went in and did and the she audition, did it. which yeah. was nice. Absolutely. Well, and also just the choice, the choice of of bells are ringing is so great because that's a show that that's a smaller show. Fewer people know that fewer people are going to know that than, for example, your carousel, your Oklahoma, your, your guys and dolls, the shows that every high school does because they have a big enough cast that a lot of people can be involved. Like there are reasons that every high school does certain one, certain shows and bells are ringing is not one. It's like that second tier that people are going to be less familiar with. So I really like the choice of that to be the school show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was another really good episode. I'm still waiting for like an episode that's like front to back as great as that audition scene was, but I don't mm-hmm. know if we're ever going to get that. So I'm just going to be happy with what we got. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to try to hunt down. I don't know if there are any recordings of, of Sutton Foster, uh, her, her performances on Broadway, but I would love to see her. Like I, I would love to see her thoroughly modern, modern Millie. If, if there is a recording out there, if you know, by the way, if there is a recording out there that I should be checking out of Sutton Foster's performance on, on Broadway, let me know, so, you know, send us an email, send me a tweet. Because I would love to see some of that. Uh, speaking of, uh, let's take a few minutes for some show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find us up at soundonsite.org. There will be a post for this episode of the podcast. Feel free to leave us any comments, uh, thoughts about the, this week's TV. What should our question be? I'd be curious to hear back about the whole girls thing, because that seems to be what ha- has everyone's panties in a knot this week. <laughs> yeah, let us know where you fall on girls and... Uh, and all of the various things we discussed, but, you know, specifically if you were in the love this episode or hate this episode or somewhere in the middle, I, I would love to hear from you guys about that. Yeah. Good call. Definitely. Yeah. We're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are. I'm at Sucker Howell. And we don't bite. We promise. We like. To, we would love to hear from you guys. And, of course, you can always email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And we also have feeds up in iTunes and M4A chaptered feed, which lets you skip around, you know, depending on what which sections of the podcast you want to listen to, as well as an unchaptered MP3 feed. We would love to get some ratings or reviews in iTunes. It's been a while since we got a new one, so fingers crossed. Come on, guys. Hook us up. So we're going to take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back with Will McKinley to talk Dark Shadows. Yes? I'd like to see Mrs. Stoddard, if you'd be so kind. Mrs. Stoddard? This is Collinwood, isn't it? Yes. And the mistress here is Mrs. Elizabeth Collins Stoddard, is she not? Yes. Then perhaps you'd do me the courtesy to inform Mrs. Stoddard that her cousin is calling and wishes to pay his respects. Her cousin? Yes, her cousin from England. From England? Oh, uh, please, come in. I'd be delighted, thank you. Oh, uh... Uh, would you like to wait in the drawing room? Here would be fine, thank you. Oh, well, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let Mrs. Starbuck know you're here. Oh, madam, if you would, you may tell her that it's Barnabas Collins. <laughs>
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're going back to the 60s and talking some Dark Shadows, one of the the longest-running television shows of all time, if you're going by episode count, at least. And uh, I remember when I first discovered this wonderful DVD rental place down at Urbana-Champaign, University of Illinois, and I thought there was a lot of Doctor Who, and then I turned a corner and saw the section on Dark Shadows, and just my brain kind of exploded. So it, it was a very daunting task to to, to take, take on for this DVD shelf. But thankfully, here to help us talk about it is Will McKinley, who is a, is a freelance arts writer in New York. Will, thank you for joining us. And why do you want to talk Dark Shadows? Uh, well, I, I fully expect that we'll discuss all 1,225 episodes in this podcast, um, which should <laughs> take only about 24 or 5 hours so I hope you guys have a lot of tape. Oh, totally. I got my coffee right here. Very good. Very good. <laughs> but so what is it that, that drew you to the show? Well, I'm uh, 43. I started watching Dark Shadows when I was uh, 12 or 13, and it was in syndicated reruns uh, in New York City. The show originally aired uh, on ABC Every afternoon from 1966 to 1971, I was not alive uh, or at least very conscious during the original run. But um, I was captured by the supernatural component of the show, but also the fact that the lead character, the vampire, um, was an outsider with a secret. And I think when I was 13, you know, like a lot of kids, I felt different than everyone else i felt like an outsider so i associated with that lead character i had also grown up as a fan of universal horror movies as well as the medium of the daytime soap opera and dark shadows was a unique combination of classic horror tropes um, and the daytime soap opera format you know with the daily cliffhangers and you know, the kind of like breakneck pace of a daytime soap opera. And it just, it captivated me. And it's been a big part of my life for the last 30 years. Well, I, I can definitely see how watching the show, you know, at a particular age, especially like, you know, like you say, as a teenager, it could really easily catch you. There's younger characters on the show as well. So that's an in for people of, of that younger age, too. But, you know, it's it's a thing with soaps where it, when they're done well and this, you know, that this element is certainly done well on Dark Shadows. You, you get sucked in, you get caught up. And then you, if you like step back for a second and you try to describe it to somebody who's not watching it doesn't make you, you you sound you realize how ridiculous what you're saying sounds but a good soap and this applies to the regular primetime dramas that basically are soaps too they suck you in they make you accept all the ridiculous things that are happening and really care about the personal uh, emotional and physical and you know physical stakes of the situation and when you start throwing in all of the supernatural elements dark shadows especially at the time i imagine it was you know something completely different and something that really set the show apart i was i was surprised because i didn't know very much about the show at all i of course the the film adaptation came out recently but um, I, I was very unfamiliar with the show other than it ran a long time. There were a lot of episodes and about a year in there was a vampire, but I didn't realize it was only a half hour show. And uh, I think that makes it probably is a big important part to why the show was able to, to really work in that serialized 
format without getting to be, you know, I don't think, I don't know that you'd have 1200 episodes of this if it was an hour long show. No, I mean, it's, we could talk for hours about the ways in which Dark Shadows is unique. Um, Never before in daytime television had these type of stories been told. Never before had supernatural characters been featured at all, let alone, you know, the the star of the show. Um, Over the course of the five years of the series, they featured just about everything every recognizable supernatural storyline in literature and film that had ever been done, everything from vampires to Frankenstein, monster characters to Bride of Frankenstein to witches to warlocks to werewolves, zombies, uh, disembodied heads, disembodied hands, a, a Lovecraft you know, type villain, um, ghosts, a phoenix, just literally every single type of supernatural character was featured on the show. And um, the the interesting thing about the vampire character uh, on Dark Shadows is, as you pointed out, he came on only after about a year. Um, he was not on from the, you know, uh, from the beginning of the show. The show originally started as sort of a, a, a gothic drama a gothic mystery romance and the lead character was the governess who comes to take care of a a troubled uh, 10 year old boy at this mysterious mansion you know on the on the ocean in maine and uh, the show was not doing very well in the ratings and um, after about 10 months they began to introduce supernatural elements the vampire character was introduced as a short-term character a 13-week storyline at the end of which he was supposed to be staked by a, a Van Helsing character. And then the show would have ostensibly gone back to its sort of, you know, kind of, you know, supernatural tinged, but based in reality, uh, you know, uh, storyline. And the vampire character proved to be so popular that instead of staking him, they sort of turned him into the hero of the show. Um, which was very difficult to do because in that first 13 weeks of his existence, he was pretty clearly and and unapologetically of a murderer and a villain, um, you know, killing multiple people. And um, it was sort of an interesting thing how they transformed the character into – one of the great heroes, really, in 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 television history. Well, before we get into too much more of that, um, Simon, had you seen any Dark Shadows? What was your relationship with it before this, and uh, what did you think? Uh, I, th- I think my relationship with Dark Shadows started roughly yesterday, uh, <laughs> when I when I watched the first forty five minutes and then uh, then skipped ahead to I believe episode two hundred and twelve, in which point we meet the person who's thought of as the main character. So isn't was, that interesting? We actually haven't named it. That's Barnabas Collins as the character. Yes. Right. Uh, Barnabas Collins, I should say, as as portrayed by uh, by the Canadian actor Jonathan Frid, who um, passed away only recently and actually has a, a brief cameo appearance in the Tim Burton film that came out uh, last year. And I, as I understand it, that was his final film appearance, too. It was his final film appearance. That film features a cameo by... 
uh, four original cast members of Dark Shadows, um, and uh, the the film, while it brought a lot of attention to the original show that so many of us love, uh, the film is not well loved by fans of the original, but uh, it does have a following and did do a lot of business um, internationally, though not really here in the U.S. Were they upset that the film didn't manage to capture to 1,200 episodes of plot in one film? No, I think they were more, you know, I think they, and by they I mean me, um, <laughs> were, were generally offended by um, the comic tone of the script. From what we have heard, the uh, Tim Burton's feature film adaptation was intended to be a straight retelling of the, the Dark Shadows legend, uh, you know, um, Young hero is turned into a vampire in the 1700s, locked in a coffin and released, uh, you know, in the 1960s and wrecks havoc on the town. Um, I think what happened was they they wrote a straight adaptation of the show and realized that the market was glutted both in television and film with, you know, with straight vampire stories and decided to bring on a writer named Seth Graham Smith, who was best known for parodies like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and he turned the film from a straight retelling of the Dark Shadows legend into basically a comedy. Um, there were elements of the movie that were great. The art direction of the film was great. John, uh, uh, Johnny Depp's performance as the character of Barnabas Collins is a straight homage to the performance of Jonathan Frid, and I think all of the original fans acknowledge him for that and the the respect that's inherent in that i think our issue really is with, with the tone of the film um and with the fact that it's a comedy dark shadows was a lot of things but it was never funny or at least never intentionally funny well because there is definitely a, a campy element to it especially watching it now i mean everybody in on the screen is you know in the in the show is taking the situation a hundred percent seriously and and then almost because of that, because there's so much ridiculousness going on, but also because of our perspective now where we're not used to shows where the sets wobble or where an actor flubs their line and then just keeps going through it and they don't stop and reshoot. You know, we're not used to that approach to filmmaking or television uh, production at this point. And so it's easy. I think it's easier for for somebody coming to this now to 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 get, you know, sort of a, a campy B-movie fun out of watching the series. And I think that's just as as a, a legitimate of a way to appreciate the series as a, perhaps a more respectful approach. Yeah. Whenever I, whenever I watch a series from the fifties or sixties, I sometimes think that I'd like my, my personal awareness to be transferred to, uh, to someone else in who's born in roughly 1930 so that I could carve out an entire life as a TV character actor. Cause I think I'd be good at it uh, or at least better than most of the people who show up in the background on, on sixties soaps and other TV shows. Well, you know, the, the, the thing about dark shadows is that um, it was done uh, as a daytime soap opera with a daytime soap opera budget, which meant that mm -hmm. shooting in a tiny little studio in New York city uh, with literally no money um, and, it was kind of audacious to decide that, you know, we're going to do a show with a ton of special effects and costume changes and makeup, 
and we're going to shoot it live every day at four o'clock and we're never going to stop the tape because to do that is not in the budget. Well, I can't imagine doing a supernatural show live, you know, with with all the and I think they actually of what I saw, at least they did a really good job with the effects for the most part. And, uh, you know, some of the ghosts that you see and the other layering that they, they, they were doing to get some of these effects, they they work. And uh, I, you know, just the <laughs> the balls it takes to say, you know what, we have no money. Let's start adding extra things on top. You know, I think that's uh, perhaps that's why other shows weren't doing it, but it definitely sets the show apart. Right. And I think, you know, I would certainly admit, as would any, uh, and I consider myself a second-generation fan because I discovered the show in, in syndicated reruns, not in the original run. But I think any fan, whether it's a first-generation fan, a second-generation fan, would acknowledge that um, to the naked eye, it can be occasionally hilarious. <laughs> um, that does not mean necessarily that it's funny. Um, what's, what's amusing about it is the fact that everybody on the show, as you said, every character on the show, every actor on the show, takes the whole thing 100% seriously. And eventually that rubs off on the audience. So if you watch one or two episodes, you might be like, what the heck is this? Um, but then when you've watched it for a month or two months or two years, you become part of this sort of like, you know, uh, the mood that the show creates. And you go with the mistakes because the storytelling is so compelling. Um, it's really an addictive show. And I would encourage anybody listening who's not seen the original show, if you want to check it out and you can check it out in a variety of contexts, it's a certain number of episodes are available on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu plus uh, give it, give it a number of episodes before you make a, you know, a, a final determination about whether or not it's for you, because it will hook you. If you like, the continuing story format and you like supernatural and you have a good perspective and a sense of humor about the limitations of, you know, television production in the late 1960s, you'll like the show. Well, for me, the show that it most reminded me of was Dr. Who, the classic series of Dr. Who that is. And, you know, I, I've seen all of that and I, I have no problem with those wobbly sets and kind of iffy special effects and flubbed lines you know, like we used to get with the first and second doctors uh, and well, mostly the first doctor. But so if you're somebody who likes classic Doctor Who, for example, but maybe has more interest in the horror side of things, the the um, the fantasy side as opposed to the science fiction side, I think this would be right up your alley. And it's funny because, you know, I when I was about the same age, was a big fan of Doctor Who, particularly, you know, the Tom Baker uh, doctor, who I guess was what the fourth doctor. Mm hmm. Um, you know, and I, I used the same suspension of disbelief when I watched Doctor Who as I did when I watched Dark Shadows. And in fact, um, on a number of PBS stations around the country, Dark Shadows reruns were, were paired with the Doctor Who of the, uh, Tom Baker era, um, you know, in like, you know, hour long blocks. And so there are a lot of fans who like classic Doctor Who as well as Dark Shadows. 
Well, we actually were almost halfway through this segment, and we haven't actually talked about the show itself very much. I, one of the things that I really appreciate about about the show is looking at it, I, the, the kind of – we've already talked about the, the breadth of topics that are covered as far as genres, uh, subgenres, that is, of, of fantasy and horror. But I, lo- I really like that they, they sort of pick an arc and, and take that story to its conclusion for – 80 episodes or something like that. Uh, the fact that a 13 week arc is, is a short arc is just sort of crazy from our state, you know, from the six episode British model now or a 13 episode season, you know, premier, you know, premier cable model now as compared to 13 weeks, seven, you know, five episodes a week is a short run. But I think that's such a more effective way of, of, of doing storytelling that for this sort of model than to try to keep several things going all at once. And so the fact that they really commit to certain storylines, like they flash back in time or they travel back in time or find a convenient door in an unused, disused part of the house. Um, and, and then they'd step into a different time period and they just stay there for months, I think is really interesting. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize this about Dark Shadows, they, you know, consider it a 1960s television series. And, of course, it was produced in the 1960s. But the majority of the run of the show did not, the story did not take place in the 1960s. It took place in various time periods in the past. Uh, The year 1795, when the vampire character is cursed by the witch Angelique, um, and turned into a vampire and locked in a coffin. And then there's a later storyline that takes place in the year 1897 when the character of Quentin Collins, played by David Selby, is introduced. Um, And there are long portions of the show that take place in parallel time periods, different continuities from, you know, uh, the storylines that had already been told. So the show traveled back and forth between really the late... 1600s and the late 1900s there was one storyline that took place in 1995 and then in addition to that it took place in various parallel time periods so it's very trippy you know and supposedly the show was very very popular with with little kids and teenagers but supposedly it also had a large constituency of college students who would you know, use various mind-altering substances <laughs> show and, like, trip out on, you know, the crazy weirdness and nonsense that was going on. Um, so it appealed to lots of different audiences on lots of, of different levels. And even just, you know, I, it's something that's come up a few times on the Televerse, talking about shows using a repertory of actors. The fact that, you know, maybe it maybe if uh if this was a different kind of show it might bother me that there's so many uh, there's so many reused actors in various time periods but because of the underlying themes of sort of reincarnation and and doppelgangers and uh and for the, for the prominent characters especially in Barnabas's sort of his storylines I, I think that actually really works and it gives the show a cohesion that that it probably wouldn't have had if if you'd had different actors playing the various descendants. Well, that's true. There, the show, the cast was really um, essentially a repertory company, and when they would go to different time periods, they would look at the available cast members and, to some extent, tailor the story to those actors. 
and it does give the show a, a continuity because, as you said earlier, a show with you know distinct storylines that have a start and an end um, could, in theory, lack a certain degree of continuity. But because you're seeing the same people playing similar or related roles, the whole thing feels like you know like one whole one whole story that really lasted for you know five years i i have to say for for me the most interesting aspect of of uh of watching the show besides the production aspect which i've been work i've been doing some volunteer work in a post-production house recently so I, I was thinking about all that while watching it uh the most interesting aspect to me is you know you, you're looking at a show that debuted in 1966 and you're expecting vast thematic and uh storytelling differences and, and changes in priority, but that's not really the case. I mean, there, it's so easy to draw connections between uh, the characters and stories you're seeing here to all the way to, you know, not just to daytime soaps you, you might more easily associate it with, but to anything like American Horror Story, which, you know, I, I noticed shares uh, a name in its most recent season, uh, mm. Winters. I'm sure that's not a that Maybe it's a coincidence, but I highly doubt it. And, um, or even, you know, The Vampire Diaries. Mm. Uh, which, yeah, which, you know, you know, you, you brought, you brought, you brought up doppelgangers, which is maybe why, uh, that connection sprang to mind. But also I, I, I can't help but wonder if the show didn't end up being inadvertently pioneering when it, um, when it, when they realized the popularity of, of Barnabas and then were faced with a popular antihero, because as we all know, we're now all sick to death of antiheroes, but you know, at the time it was novel. Well, you know, Dark Shadows is, um, usually considered the first example of the reluctant vampire character. And that's a character that's pretty common now in popular culture. Ubiquitous, I'd say. Ubiquitous. Um, kind of tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Shadows was the first place that it happened. For the most part, up until that point, the vampire had always been a traditional villain, a, you know, a one-dimensional villain. And in fact, you mentioned uh, the Vampire Diaries, there are many similarities between the Vampire Diaries and Dark Shadows from the, you know, the long, and I don't watch the series, but I'm familiar with it, from the long lost love reincarnated to a vampire and a werewolf as a major character, um, you know, time travel, uh, you know, and most importantly, the sort of, you know, the heroic bad guy, the heroic villain. Um, and Dark Shadows really started all of that. Well, and I love that it sort of started it accidentally, you know, because they had established, like you said earlier, they had established Barnabas as more of a villain and then went, oh, crap. Well, I guess, yay, he's really popular, but how are we going to make this work? I guess we'll just make him a good vampire. Yeah, you know? who, who who knew, if if they only knew at the time that they inadvertently created the standard for supernatural storytelling for like the next 50 years. Well, this is the thing. The reason that Dark Shadows... Um, I, in my opinion, the reason that Dark Shadows was great was because they really had no clue what they were doing. Nobody was trying to be great. They were just trying to make something that got on the air every day and told a compelling story and, you know, would sell the soap or, you know, dish liquid or whatever was advertised during the commercial breaks. They never thought that the show was going to be ever seen again. They never thought it was going to be rerun. They never thought that it was going to turn into the popular cultural phenomenon that it did. And 
that it would be rebooted in, you know, various forms in various media for the next half century. Um, I think if they had known that or had a sense of that or were trying to do that, they would have it would have collapsed under its own weight because they were basically just throwing shit at the wall to see what worked. And it worked. Nothing great about Dark Shadows, again, this is my opinion, nothing great about Dark Shadows was ever planned. It was all a happy accident. And um, if you talk to the, you know, the people who worked on the show who are still with us, they'll basically admit that. Um, and the biggest happy accident was the fact that the vampire character turned out to be so beloved, even though he was so evil. And, you know, to that, um, I give a huge amount of credit to Jonathan Frid, who w is really only known for Barnabas Collins. Um, but boy, if you're going to be known for one thing, I, Barnabas Collins is a pretty good thing to be known for. Well, we were talking a little earlier before the we started recording that you know this is this show. I, it's one that I had sort of been aware of at the fringes of my my geek bubble, as it were. But for some people, this is a, a huge show. It has, I mean, it never was anywhere near number one in the in its time slot or in the ra ratings of the um, rankings of the soaps at the time. It was like usually in the teens or the low top ten. But uh, but it has an incredibly strong cult fan base. It does. There, you know, there's a um, there's a misnomer that Dark Shadows was the most popular soap opera of the 1960s. It wasn't. It, you know, other traditional soaps like you know, As the World Turns or The Guiding Light or whatever were more watched in terms of numbers, but. The show attracted a very unusual audience for daytime television, um, namely kids, and um, was very, very popular with licensed products, you know, manufacturers of licensed products. There were there was a series of novels. There was a series of comic books. There were board games, puzzles, Halloween costumes, toys, dolls, um, and then eventually two feature films um, released by uh, MGM, the first of which called House of Dark Shadows was extremely popular. And just the idea that a daytime soap opera had products that were sold based on the show and then was turned into a movie is still unheard of. It's never been done and, and never will be done again. As much as I would like Days of Our Lives action figures. Yeah, I can't really imagine it as the world turns lunchbox. You know, the Marlena Evans, uh, you know, possessed by the devil storyline or whatever they did on, on you know. It's funny because um, Dark Shadows basically became supernatural to prevent it from being canceled. And a number of soaps have sort of dabbled over the years in supernatural, you know, with similar intentions. Days of Our Lives occasionally was supernatural. There was a series called Passions that... Mm -hmm had a lot of supernatural characters. Even the General Hospital spinoff, uh, Charles, had a vampire character for a period of time. But none of them basically committed the way Dark Shadows committed. Like, once that vampire took off, they were like, forget the romance, forget, you know, the trials and murder. We're going to go with vampires, witches, werewolves, people getting stakes driven through their hearts, people getting bitten on the neck. 
um, zombies wandering through cemeteries, and they committed fully for the next four years. And, you know, it's it's a pretty amazing thing to watch. Have you guys seen the the feature film House of Dark Shadows? No, I didn't no. get a chance, unfortunately. Um, I, I would really, really recommend that if you guys are, are genre fans in general. Um, House of Dark Shadows is just a straight-up good 70s vampire film. It's, in my opinion... Least as good, if not better, than any of the Hammer Dracula films, and it is actually my favorite um, iteration of the Dark Shadows story. Strangely enough, I saw House of Dark Shadows on television before I had ever seen the TV show, and that's what first drew me in to the Dark Shadows mythos. You know, to the mythology of the vampire rising from the grave to search for his long lost love, and. It just came out on Blu-ray. Uh, it's extremely reasonably priced on Amazon. Not that I get a cut or anything, but <laughs> if you guys like vampire movies and you like, you know, 70s stuff, House of Dark Shadows is a good thing to seek out. Well, there are far too many episodes to, to say favorite episode, unless there's one or two that, that come out come to mind for you, Will. Um, so does it, does anybody have any favorite elements to the show they'd like to say or, or perhaps uh, arcs or, or characters? Uh, Simon? Uh, for, for me, I, I you know, I, I, as previously acknowledged, I think with, with earlier shelves we've done, I, I always have a tricky time getting immersed in uh, – in, late 60s, early 70s television because of the, of the production values, unless I'm sitting down and watching a whole lot of episodes, which, uh, frankly, was not going to happen in this time frame. But um, I, I think for me, honestly, the, the most fascinating element was just thinking about the reverberations that came from the show, especially because, as Will was just saying, they were so accidental and serendipitous. And I, I guess my mind just constantly wandered thinking about those tangents while watching it. So I guess that's another uh, – I guess in, in, in terms of TV nerdery, that's another way to appreciate the show. The, the, the challenge for, you know, naming a favorite episode, as you, you know, as you pointed out, Kate, is that, you know, with 1,225 episodes, it's not like I'm going to say, well, episode 674 was really, you know. It's <laughs> Fortunately enough, though, that is the title of the episode. <laughs> Makes it a little easier to keep straight. It does, but yeah, I, I think – you know, fans of the series uh, would point to one particular storyline, and that was the storyline that takes place in the year 1897, which um, actually went on for something like 10 months. Can you imagine? <laughs> Jesus. It, it just, they went to the past and stayed there for 10 months, and the ratings were never higher, and they were so good that they kept extending the storyline. Um, and that is generally considered the period during which the show was running on, you know, on all cylinders. The ratings were the highest. Uh, you know, there were multiple uh, heartthrobs on the show that were on the cover of every teen magazine. There was a top, a Billboard Top 20 soundtrack album. So if you have an opportunity to, you know, to get a hold of the DVDs and there is a complete series box set, uh, housed it in a stylish uh, coffin carrying case. It'll only run you about 900 bucks on eBay. And about 500 bucks on Amazon. 
It's actually, I just checked it before we went on the air. It's available for $333. Oh, and oh, wow. steal at that. Actually, if you wa- if you are into the show, that's probably a pretty good price. I, there's no way I'm getting Doctor Who for that little. No, it, it's it's a very good price. And, you know, in fact, as I said earlier, the um, I think the first 120 episodes with the vampire character um, are available on Hulu+. Plus. Um, a similar number are available on Netflix streaming. And then... Um, there are 40 episode collections that are available on DVD if you want to continue, you know, with the series later on. But if you do have an opportunity to check it out on DVD, I would recommend the 1897 storyline with uh, David Selby, who is an actor that soap opera fans would uh, recognize from a nighttime soap called Falcon Crest in the 80s. Um, It's just a really, really compelling storyline with lots of supernatural elements and it just it zips along and it's just you know it's it's addictive it really is well and we mentioned uh, davis helby i did get to see some of his work on the show when he's a ghost and never speaking and he's still really creepy and really effective i was it was one of the things that i actually wanted to spe- specifically mention um cuz there's this, there's an arc about two the two young children getting possessed to some extent by these ghosts in the house. And one, I believe one of them is David Selby, right? Quentin. That's uh-huh. And, uh, and, and he just, he just stands there. He just randomly sort of appears and that there's excellent work in the, the lighting and the, and, and the camera work and shadows and everything to make that allow that to happen live. Um, but he just sort of stands there and they never let him speak because he's always communicating telepathically because he's a ghost. Um, and yet it's still incredibly effective. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the um, the sheer ridiculousness over over the, uh, most of the, her run of Angelique. Um, and uh, I, I wasn't as big a fan when she would sway back to, oh, I didn't mean to curse you and do terrible things. Oh, wait, I did. I preferred her as evil, but she is so much fun. Well, and that the actress, Lara Park, you know, again, um, best known for the series, but did an amazing job of being a villain, but being incredibly sympathetic. And just the like the dysfunctional nature of the relationship between the character of the witch Angelique and the vampire Barnabas Collins is so compelling. It is, you know, the ultimate like love hate relationship. And they tried to capture it in the movie with Johnny Depp and, and Eva Green and just they couldn't do anywhere near the job that they did, you know, on five dollars an episode in in the nineteen sixties. Well, uh, we unfortunately we have already gone over our time. Well, do you have any final thoughts on Dark Shadows? Um, my final thoughts on Dark Shadows are: if you're a fan of uh, the reluctant vampire character, if you're a fan of um, the continuing story format. Uh, seek out the show. Um, sit down with, you know, your Netflix or your Hulu Plus or the DVDs over a weekend. You know, give it a good dozen to you know twenty episodes, and um, and I really believe that you'll get hooked. Alternately, if you are a fan of seventies um, horror and and you know vampire films of that era, check out House of Dark Shadows on Blu-ray. Um, it's a different continuity than the TV series, but you get the basic storyline and you get most of the lead actors and kind of the 
the tone and sensibility, um, and, and you might get hooked through that and then be able to go back and watch the TV series with sort of like a big picture perspective. Um, it's a lot of fun. If you give it a, if you give it a chance, um, I think you'll like it. And then my final thoughts are I had a couple things. First of all, I wanted to mention some of the music. Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of episodes, there's a lot of time to fill with music, but I was actually rather surprised and impressed that the music was is as good as it is, considering the priorities specifically at that time in television uh, as regards to music and where that would be on your list of budgetary items. So I think the, the composer actually did a pretty pretty good job uh, managing what I'm sure was a very tight budget to yeah. uh, to provide some interesting and uh, evocative music. And specifically, the Quentin theme is, I think, really, really nice. Also, I, I wanted to mention that because they keep having these long-form arcs that move to different time periods, I think Dark Shadows avoids some of the problems of other long-running soaps where you're in season four or five but it feels like season 20 and then and you're still trying to do the same will they won't they that you started in season two and i think that was a really smart move by them to keep having those dramatic shifts so that they didn't end up telling the exact same stories and stretching them out as long as maybe some of their peers were doing at the same time and yeah, if you, I would secondly say, if you like genre, if you are okay with wobbly sets and an occasional botched line, and you prefer atmosphere, and maybe even want a little bit uh, of uh, of um, of Lovecraft in your in your soap, then then check it out because it is it is fun. It's definitely it's campy, but it's definitely fun. After you've watched a bunch of episodes, those wobbly sets and occasionally missed lines will become a big part of the charm of the show for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Will, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Will McKinley. That's W-I-L-L-M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y. And I also write about classic film at uh, willmckinley.wordpress.com. Love to have you uh, say hi on Twitter and uh, check out some of my blog posts. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, Will, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.